Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries, of curiosities, of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. Last time on the Box of Oddities, we we talked about how you and I try to we try to stay conscious and aware and present, uh, and look for what we call perfect moments, things, experiences that maybe we've never had before. But it also includes things that we have never said before. Right. Sometimes you'll hear a sentence, and it's like, I wonder if that's ever been said before. Case in point: Cat yesterday said, um, you know, besides the chemical burns. I really enjoyed myself. It's true. I had a nice time. We had gone to inspect our new apartment that we're we're moving into in a couple of weeks. And I guess they had done some work on the carpet and whatever kind of uh, cleaning solvent they used (laughs) really reacted badly with your bare feet. Yes, I had a a rough go for a little bit there and uh, my feet were on fire. But uh, they're much better now. Thank you. I'm just glad the only thing we did there was take our shoes off. Right. That could have gotten really <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Really, right. ba- really bad. Yeah. Really quickly. Yeah. <clears throat> Michelangelo Di Lodovico Buonarrote Simone. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. More commonly referred to as uh, simply Michelangelo. Oh, yes. Yeah. Or Il Divino. The Divine One. Now, of course, I'm not talking about the Ninja Turtle, uh, but the Italian... I mean, you could. I could. If you wanted to talk about the Ninja Turtle, I would be down for that conversation. <laughs> he, he truly is El Divino. Totally. Michelangelo, of course, was the Italian sculptor, painter, architect, and poet of the High Renaissance. And he was also... A very disgusting man with nasty habits and dirty little secrets. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, I guess he was an artist, and sometimes that's the case. Not always. Some of you are very clean. (laughs) According to Wikipedia, Michelangelo was born in the Republic of Florence, and his work had and still has a major influence on the development of Western art. We're all pretty familiar with his stuff. He's often considered to be a contender for the title of archetypal Renaissance man, along with his elder contemporary rival, Leonardo da Vinci. 
He's one of the best documented artists of the 16th century, and many scholars describe him as the most accomplished artist of his era because everything he did, whether it was sculpting or painting or uh, architectural design, he did it better than really anybody. Mm, that must be a nice place to be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything what, about that. What would that be like? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he's best known for his works, including his sculpture of David, which is thought of as the greatest nude sculpture ever made. Wow. Did you know he completed that before he was 30? No. <laughs> that makes me feel so bad about myself. Oh, my myself. God. I know. It's <laughs> really demoralizing. And even though he looked down on painting as an art form, he kind of poo-pooed it. Oh. Uh, he was responsible for, for some of the most influential frescoes in the history of Western art, namely the scenes from Genesis on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and the Last Judgment on the altar wall. At the age of 71, he took over as architect of St. Peter's Basilica. The western end of the building was finished to his design, as was the famous dome. Mm -hmm. Michelangelo was the first western artist whose biography was published while he was still alive. In fact, two biographies were published during his lifetime, which is why we know so much about him, as much about him as we do. Interesting. Including those aforementioned disgusting practices. Now, it's true that during this particular time in history, the 15th, 16th century, people were really not known for their personal hygiene practices. Right. Didn't some people believe that being dirty was actually healthier? Yes. Yeah. They thought if they were covered in, in filth. It protected you. Right. It, it was a buffer between you and whatever was causing. At the time, germs were not even a remote possibility in people's minds. Right. It was foul air that carried diseases. And they thought if, you know, you didn't wash, then you weren't as vulnerable. Which to me seems counterintuitive because if you're not washing, then you are foul air, right? Yeah, right. that's true. And you'd need to go door to door at Christmas looking for a dentist like Roy Kent. We're catching up on Ted Lasso. Oh my gosh. How did we not get into this sooner? This is the best show. Anyway, please continue. Foul air. Mm -hmm. So people during that time were genuinely thought of by today's standards as perhaps a bit odiferous. <laughs> but it appears as though Michelangelo, as with his art, took that to a whole different level. For all the beauty and awe he created in his art, it seems he didn't share this characteristic personally. He was referred to as, by many of his uh, contemporaries, an uncouth genius. All right. Again, that's not uncommon for no. someone with extraordinary artistic ability or skill to be maybe maybe the scales are tilted a little bit. Could be. So they've got all that skill, but maybe their social or hygiene business right. isn't quite so great. That's not that unusual. Right. Eccentricities certainly run parallel to uh, genius when it comes to artists. I mean, I think of Dolly that way. He was, I don't know how much of that was intentional, but... Uh, Socially awkward, for sure. It, yeah, and doing strange things like walking his pet aardvark on a leash in Manhattan, you know. Right, or allegedly inviting people to his home so he could, like, wank while watching them yeah, do stuff. Yeah, those kinds of things. Allegedly. Uh, little bizarre. <clears throat> and even though Michelangelo at the time rubbed shoulders with uh, his wealthy patrons, with popes, 
and the societal elite of the day. He was he was kind of an asshole, too. <laughs> <laughs> like Dali. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, he was actually pretty cantankerous. He was very argumentative and was always in a foul mood, which, of course, matched his smell. <laughs> Because of this, he ultimately began avoiding socializing. He was described as a solitary and melancholy person, Bizarro y Fantastico, a man who withdrew himself from the company of men. Uh, he was also described to have, quote, monk-like chastity. Oh, well, I mean, from what you've said, I don't know if that was his choice or not. Yeah, it no, could have been that, yeah, yeah, nobody would do it with him because right? they couldn't get close enough. Oof. He often didn't even have assistants working around him because he preferred to do it all himself. He did all the work on his own, regardless of the size of the commission. That's why many projects took years to complete. He would immerse himself in the work with a dedication that was really very unusual. He would often forget to eat or sleep for days. Yeah. And he wouldn't change his clothes. No, no, he would not. One of his biographers said, quote, his nature was so rough and uncouth that his domestic habits were incredibly squalid and deprived posterity of any pupils who might have followed him. So he's got a shitty attitude. Yeah. He smells terrible. Mm -hmm. He's never boinking. No, so no. that probably doesn't help his attitude any. Certainly added to his cantankerousness. Right. I wonder, I mean, it sounds like maybe he had like clinical depression or something. Yeah. And just obviously wasn't treated and everyone just thought he was a dick. I think you've really hit on something there. The other biography that was written about him was written by Ascanio Condivi, who actually worked pretty closely with Michelangelo, one of the very few. He worked closely with him in writing Michelangelo's memoir. Yeah. In it, he quotes Michelangelo saying, quote, however rich I may have been, I have always lived like a poor man. And indeed, he was fabulously rich, but you wouldn't know it by looking at him. By the description in his biographies, I kind of picture him as an unkempt, like homeless person, a person that lives out on the streets. He, he really didn't differentiate himself from that part of society. So kind of like Adam Sandler, like incredibly rich, but every time you see him, he's wearing stained sweatpants. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Gondivi didn't offer the reasons why this was the case, but described Michelangelo as leading, quote, an unhygienic lifestyle. Mm. One of the reasons that that may have been was that he suffered from osteoarthritis, probably from lying on his back for several years while painting the ceiling at the Sistine Chapel. Right. Or many of the other large commissions that he undertook and did on his own. His biography said, quote, when he was more robust, he often slept in his clothes and in his boots, mm. which he had always worn for reason of cramp, from which he has continually suffered as much as anything else. So he's saying Michelangelo would get so cramped up and uncomfortable from his osteoarthritis, plus I imagine muscle cramps too, that he couldn't take his clothes off or his boots. So he would just leave them on, assumedly, Nearly all the time. Oh. In fact, Condivi said, quote, and sometimes he has been so long in taking them off that subsequently, along with his boots, he sloughed off his skin like a snake's. Ooh. Feet skin. 
Condivi also noted that Michelangelo was indifferent to food and drink, eating, quote, more out of necessity than pleasure. Yeah. Giorgio Vasari, which sounds like a fashion designer. (laughs) It does. Authored a book called Lives of the Most Excellent Painters, Sculptors, and Architects. Uh, And it was published in 1550. And he said this about Michelangelo, quote, his boots, known as buskins, were worn so much that they ended up fusing to his legs. <sighs> it's clear, especially later in his life, that Michelangelo suffered from some, well, several health issues, mostly due to his lack of self-care and his obsessive work. Mm. Uh, recently, based on a study of his footwear in 2021, they discovered that he was a small man. He was about five foot, two inches tall. It's also thought that he suffered from lead poisoning, probably from the paints. Sure. And we've heard for years the theories of Van Gogh's madness may have been from lead paints because he would he would lick his paintbrushes. Lip and dip like the radium girls. Another example of a bad use of dips. Mm. <laughs> he also suffered from gout along with his osteoarthritis. He should so eat cherries. Cherries is supposed to be good for the gout. That's what my dad said. It's pretty likely, based on his obsessive work habits and lack of self-care, that he also suffered from, as you speculated, um, depression or mental health issues. Later in life, Michelangelo nurtured a great platonic love for the poet and noble widow, Vittoria Colonna. They had met each other in Rome in the late 1530s, and they wrote sonnets to each other. Aww. And they were also in regular contact right up until the time that she passed away. She she died first. In his biography of Michelangelo, Condivi recalls Michelangelo saying that his sole regret in life was that he did not kiss the widow's face in the same manner that he had kissed her hand. That's pretty much the way he lived his life. Until the very end, he was... Full of regrets? Full of regrets. He was a recluse, very unhappy, very stinky, mostly alone. Aww. And much has been written about his feud with Raphael, the painter, not the, not the Ninja Turtle. Sure. Um, Michelangelo once said of Raphael, quote, All he had in art he got from me. Oh, that sounds... Kind of snotty. Egotistical. Michelangelo was a snarky little snot. It's true. It's been said... That Michelangelo and Raphael only met once. They ran into each other on the street. Raphael was accompanied by several others. Michelangelo had commented that he thought he had encountered the chief of police with such an assemblage. Raphael replied that he thought he had met an executioner as they are wont to walk alone. Oh, my source information, Wikipedia, Ancient Origins, the BBC, Michelangelo, a stinky genius. Ah, some 16th century smack talk. It would have been cool if they had a rap battle. <laughs> right? A 16th century Renaissance rap battle. The Box of Oddities with Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. 
Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer and now that thing in the middle when steven spielberg re-enrolled at california state long beach to earn his ba more than 30 years after dropping out he was given three course credits in paleontology for making jurassic park Sam Porter, who is one of the founding members of the Order of Freaks on Patreon. And overall rad dude. Sent this message. And he's referring to the story I did about uh, mortuary feasting, where in some cultures they will take the ashes of the dead one and mash them up with bananas and then eat them. Yeah, make a weird... Uh, It's like a dead guy smoothie. Weird soup. Yeah. Mm. He said, it's bad that all I could think toward the start of JG's story was, man, a banana smoothie sure sounds good right now. (laughs) Maybe toss in some oranges and strawberries for good measure. Also, curious as to the proximity time-wise to the Mothman event for Cat Story. If I recall correctly, there was some sort of cigar-shaped UFO involved there, too, Mm. along with an individual described as, quote, a disco wizard. Could be that I'm thinking of something else. I have approximate knowledge of many things. 
<laughs> Sam's a knucklehead. He sure is. And he doesn't give himself enough credit. We got an email, curator at theboxofoddities.com, from Scott. Oh my God, I can finally contribute. <laughs> First off, Savannah, Georgia, not Savannah, Illinois, which sucks real hard, is my favorite place on earth. I read Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil and had to visit the Mercer house. It's unbelievable and so fun to connect the real house and property with the book. As far as I know, they don't do ghost tours, but I joined a walking ghost tour group that featured the outside, but nothing inside, unfortunately. But the place to go if you want a legit ghost tour in Savannah is the Sorrel Weed House. You can even do an overnight tour inside the house along with the wonderfully creepy history. Highly recommend this as it's allegedly one of the most haunted buildings in Savannah. Yes, please. I'm a super skeptic. Me too. Not me. But it's creepy nonetheless. I love your shows. Blah, blah, blah. He says nice things. And... He said, I am so thrilled that Lindsay is the co-host of The Shallow End. He's fantastic and has a voice like a smooth, buttery, baritone sax fueled by endless information. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's wonderful. Thanks. And then he said more nice things, but okay. That's nice. Yeah. And The Shallow End with Schneebly and Toth is now available. I think we've got seven episodes out. And uh, you can find the link to it in the show notes of this episode of The Box of Oddities. Also got an email from Megan talking about the Savannah episode you did. Had to stop this episode and send a quick email. My husband and I went on a quick vacay to Savannah back in 2018. Of course, had to hit up all the spooky haunted tours that Savannah had to offer. One of the stops on the tour was the Mercer Williams house. And the tour guide, of course, highlighted the Tommy Downs story. Below are photos of the house, the roof, and the spike that he landed on. Ooh. And she did, uh, yeah, the, mm, wow, amazing photos. She said, sorry for the blurriness of some of the photos. I'm just going to assume it was spirits and not our horrible photo taking skills. You can also see where they had to repair the spike when they removed his body. Kind of cool. Kind of gross. Yes, I touched it. Love you both. Nashville misses you. And she says she's been listening from the beginning. Thanks, Megan. Amazing. Thank you. And Aria sent this email to us at curator at the box of oddities.com. Hi, guys. Going to keep this short. Experienced my own boo effect for the first time. I was driving to work this morning listening to Box 446 about Anne being hit by a meteorite and then got to work, turned on the computer to see news about a meteor exploding in the sky over Wellington, New Zealand. There, the end. Flying my freak flag from Kiwiland. Still blows my mind that people on the other side of the world listen to this silly little podcast. I know. We're grateful. We are. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— 
We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Here at the Box of Oddities, we strive to always forgive and forget and never hold any grudges. Unless, you know, you really fucked us over. This is the Box of Oddities. Leonard Trask was born in June of 1805 to Mr. and Mrs. Osborne Trask in Hartford, Maine. I know where that is. Well, of course you do. Because we lived in Maine. Yeah. For a number of years. Most of the time that I've Mm, lived. Sure. Yeah. As a teenager, Leonard worked on his father's farm. He also, as he got older, worked as a brickmaker in Carthage, making $11.50 a month. And then he went to Hartford to build a stone wall, 100 rods long, for eight weeks. He made $100. And with his earnings, he bought a pair of oxen for $50 and sold them for $55. And then he went to Byron, Maine to work as a logger for $12 a month. He was an industrious young man, and he experienced a lot of success in his early life. In 1930, Leonard was married to Eunice Knight, and they had a daughter. They had a family farm that they owned in Peru, Maine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is near Newry, which is where I used to do the Tough Mountain obstacle course. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's such a pretty part of the state. Maine has so many town names that are actually names of countries. They have a roadside sign that has all of the na- like Denmark this way, Rome this way, Nor- China, China, Norway. Uh, it's it's a weird little state. It is. So in 1833, Leonard was out riding his horse and a pig got scared and ran under the hooves of the horse. The horse stumbled and plunged, throwing Mr. Trask directly over its head. So Leonard was thrown to the ground, landing forcefully on his neck and shoulders. Obviously, he was injured and uh, he was pretty far away from home. So it took him hours and hours to crawl home what after about, this what, accident. What about the pig, though? What What about the pig? Unclear. Mm. Hmm. So finally, he got home. He was able to get medical attention, though in my notes, I wrote media attention. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. He's getting it now. Well, now, yes. It took months for him to recover. And then Leonard could only work for small periods of time without incredible pain. Mm. Now, because he had been bedridden for as long as he was, his farm really suffered and a bunch of his cattle died and it wasn't a great situation. So he needed to return to work to make money, which is really a catch-22 because he couldn't tend to his farm because he was not well. And then he had to go back to work, even though, you know, so anyway... 
The next winter, he went with a crew of men to work in the woods, which is a very early Maine thing. Men would just go work in the woods and they would leave for weeks at a time. That's true. Yeah. Lumberjacking uh, was a big deal. Yeah. That's what my father's father did. I had relatives that did the same thing. They would just go into the woods. Come back a couple of weeks later with some money. And then drink it away and go back to the woods. Well, I think that's a terrible generalization. Um, no, I'm speaking from personal experience. Oh, okay. <laughs> so anyway, Leonard was sick much of the time and the working conditions were horrible. So he had to work through the pain and it became just unbearable. His neck and back mm. were such a problem for him. He couldn't sit to eat He had to eat walking around the camp because sitting hurt him. His back had begun to bow and his shoulders curved forward. Soon, his chin was pressed into his chest and Leonard was in such severe pain. In order to get out of bed in the morning, he had to use a rope to pull himself out of bed. What kind of lumberjacking could this guy do? I don't know. But he was rugged and he was determined, so he kept going. In 1940, Leonard's injury was further exacerbated when he fell off a load of hay. Now, obviously, when you're working and you're continuing to work in already unsafe conditions, when you have this kind of injury, you're probably prone to become injured again and again because mm-hmm. you're not you're not doing what you need to be doing to keep yourself safe. Anyway, he's not in a good place, but somehow he and Eunice made six more kids. So something's working. Maybe it was that rope. (laughs) Fashioned some sort of a block and pulley system. In 1853, Leonard was thrown from his wagon. He ended up breaking his collarbone and four of his ribs. Oh my God. He suffered incredible injuries, which further deformed his spine. And now his chin was pressed into his chest permanently. It hampered his breathing, and he was told that he was not in a good place. But he was able to recover and walk again. Wow. Though keep in mind, his chin is still pressed to his chest Mm. all the time. I bet he found a lot of spare change. Leonard visited doctors all over the state and tried so many treatments. Of course, tried and true, leeching. Leeching and opium. Those were... Very popular methods. Sure. Uh, Nothing worked. And now Leonard would likely be diagnosed with spondyloarthritis. But at the time, it was just like, well, let's take some of your blood out. Hmm? (laughs) Leonard did the best that he could to provide for his family, working through the pain. And since essential social programs were not available to him and his family at the time, he tried to sell door to door. Did you get that that social injustice bit that I just put in there. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, Okay. I I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't being too subtle. I don't think there's much danger in that. (laughs) So he's going door to door on the street trying to sell things, but he had to stop because people were harassing him and attacking him because of his deformity. Why do we do shit like that as a species? I don't know. So Leonard went to the main state house and got some assistance in co-writing an autobiography called a brief historical sketch of the life and sufferings of Leonard Trask, the wonderful invalid, the wonderful invalid. Yep. Wow. 
Trask went with his biographer to New York and they sold the booklets for 10 cents each. Now, of course, the sight of this man who's literally curved like a candy cane, uh, it caused a lot of curiosity. And so they did sell a lot of booklets, but at 10 cents a piece, it's really not enough to make much of a profit. The book, though, contains numerous accounts of Leonard's various activities, like Mr. Trask in pursuit of fuel and Mr. Trask at the circus. Also, Mr. Trask going to drink. Which I think uh, would be one of my great pastimes if I was constantly in pain and bent over all the time. I hope that was the lead chapter. (laughs) During all of this, Mr. Trask is referred to as Mr. T. It was uh, both amusing and sad, but it was written in a way that was supposed to be like lighthearted. And from... All of the quotes that I saw from him and all of the recollections that others had of him, he was an incredibly kind, gentle, well-spoken man who just made you feel good about the fact that he was in terrible, terrible pain, which is kind of cute and sweet. And this booklet ends up being the first documented case of AS in the United States. No kidding. Yeah. On May 24th, 1858, Leonard was involved in another accident. Oh, for the love of God, can this guy get a break? No. And it's referred to as a high-speed coach accident, uh, which I don't know how high-speed <laughs> the coaches go, but um, he and several other passengers were thrown to the ground Leonard ended up striking his head and there was a gash on his head about five inches long that was pretty severe. He ended up becoming bedridden for the last two weeks of his life and he died in 1861. After about 25 years of this condition and this unbearable pain, he's really remarkable that he made it that long. Leonard was buried in Oldham's Cemetery in Peru, Maine. And I did some poking about on Ancestry.com, and I found a picture of his tombstone in Peru. And it's just a simple little tombstone, and I think that we should make a statue. Should we do that? I think we should. That's not a bad idea. That guy had amazing determination. Right? And and overcame so many things. And made all of those babies not being able to lift his head up. Just using a rope and pulley. (laughs) So anyway, I just think he was really interesting. And uh, overall, his personality Mm. really seemed seemed to shine, even though he was obviously in incredible pain all the time. Which could lead us to a discussion about toxic positivity, but I won't get into that right now. I got most of my information from The Human Marvels, a brief historical sketch of the life and sufferings of Leonard Trask, the wonderful invalid, (laughs) and of course, Ancestry.com and Wikipedia. Amazing. Amazing. I think that's the first story that I've done about a man who lived in Maine. If you don't count all of the times that we mentioned Stephen King. I've never done a story on Stephen King. For us, it was just shameless self-promotion, trying to get him to mention us. Never did. No, never did. Even though we were neighbors. And really, we're kind of neighbors still, because he owns a home in Florida. So, oh, well, there you go. I mean, yeah. we're, just, we're just following him around. We're stalking him. Want to thank our latest patrons, Sarah, Kayleen, and Kelly. We appreciate your support. 
They are the latest inductees into the inner circle of freaks on Patreon. Zoom meeting tomorrow. That's right. Our next Zoom meeting is tomorrow. So if you want to join us for that, you've got a little bit of time. I mean, if you're listening as soon as this drops, which not that I would expect you to. I mean, you have a life. You're, and you a, you're have a busy, that, busy person. And I respect you for that. We do. I don't we do. Yeah. expect you yeah. to take time. You know what? You do what you want. But if you want to become a supporter, <laughs> <laughs> you get episodes that are ad-free Zoom meetings every month, bonus episodes. Uh, you get the episodes a little bit early. and uh, You get to see my boob art. You get to see Kat's boob art, which is really quite popular. <laughs> you can find the link to become a member of the Order of Freaks at theboxofoddities.com. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities. And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.